episode 26 of the Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik. Thanks for tuning in once again. We're back to talk women's football. It's been female football week. It's been International Women's Day. It's literally like that every week here. So carry on, play on, let's keep going. I'm joined as I always am by my three best gal pals, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Samantha Lewis and Anna Harrington. So let's crack into some You Love to See It to start us off because that's what we do. Harrow, kick us off with a You Love to See It. Marissa, I love to see our main Tillies just keep on scoring in the FAWSL. I know we've turned a lot of our focus to the W League, but it's been such like a disruptive season over there. Yet Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford just cannot stop scoring, assisting, being involved in games. Um, Sam Kerr uh, got a bit of help from Beth England to score her header and then uh, she repaid the favour with an assist for England. And then in um, Arsenal's win, Ford scored two goals in pretty quick succession. Um, I think it's particularly impressive given how up and down Arsenal's season's been and how much they've been disrupted. But in effectively her first full-time season with the club she's been so influential so our Tilly is continuing to kill it overseas you love to see it you really do love to see it Sam what did you love to see this weekend sticking with the FAWSL from the top of the ladder all the way down to the bottom this week I loved to see Bristol City getting their second win of the season over Reading. They won 3-2 this morning. And I have to say, just like Gemma Perfield's goal, the second goal of the three was absolutely extraordinary. She receives the ball down the right wing. It's sort of just outside the 18-yard box and curls it with her left foot just into the far post. Ding, ding, ding. There we are. That's us. That's us. Uh, it's just fantastic to see. And, and uh, Alabaster Antonio, of course, the Aussie there, uh, got on just after the hour mark and she was able to help see out that win for Bristol. So they're now off the bottom of the ladder. And sorry, Angela, but West Ham are now at the foot of the FAWSL ladder after this win for Bristol. So, you know, teams that we thought we maybe had written off earlier in the season starting to come good. We love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. And I'm sure Matt Beard loved to see that one in particular. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? Sorry, I just need to stop crying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's like, hello, darkness, friend. Um, yeah, so moving on to po- positivity, good vibes only. Um, I love to see Michelle Heyman get her 70th goal in the W League, which means that she's now equalised with Sam Kerr's um, yep, leading tally across the league as a whole. Um, yeah, and it was in Canberra's um, pretty comprehensive 4-1 win over Brisbane. Um, Keir does this lovely long ball over and basically falls to Michelle Heyman, but she still does a lot of work to sort of wriggle around Carol. And then the finish was excellent as well. Um, Morgan Aquino was coming out to meet her, but she just sort of cut it around her um, and it sliced across the, from the the right of the goal. And yeah, lovely stuff and um, very happy to, well, very joyous times as well with the celebrations and obviously the meaning of that goal as well. So you love to see it and yeah, how good as well, I guess. All, all of the above. It's. I think we've got to edit in like Cayman watch Claxon because she she did it or she like hit one of the highest kind of levels of Cayman watch. So it's so good, and I think it's particularly awesome because like 
she hadn't scored since like January 30th. So we've just spent like all of February, like, is she going to do it? Is she going to do it? She had that goal disallowed and it was like so close. Um, but she finally did it and we do absolutely love to see it. So let's get straight into some W League action. We had the four full games this round, lots of goals, lots of intrigue, lots of chaos, which is uh we're always big fans of chaos in the dub, but let's kick it off where the round kicked off. So it was Melbourne victory one, Western Sydney Wanderers nil. It was a good win for victory. Harry, how did you see the game? I think with victory at the moment, they're sort of simmering along the surface, like flying under the radar. I think ever since they copped that 6-0 loss to Brisbane, they've kind of, they were on the back foot and then went, okay, we've got to settle. We've got to just go about our business, pick up points. And I think that's exactly what they did in this game. Um, They probably would have liked to have put more goals past the Wanderers, who, to be fair, have hit form in recent weeks. They would have known going in that it was going to be a pretty difficult um, test. But I think what it really underlined was the value that Annalie Longo provides to that team. She's so energetic. Um, She really drives from the front. Uh, She sets the tone in terms of energy. And she's always dangerous around goal. Like, I think the Wanderers' defence wouldn't have been too happy with the amount of sights she got on goal, especially in the air, given how small she is. I mean, her nickname's Flea. What are you doing? Letting Flea get headers near goal. Um, But, yeah, that sort of goal mouth scramble in the end where she just managed to bury it proved the difference. And, you know, it's probably not a win that Victor will chalk up as you know, one of their most important or most dazzling or anything like that. But I think in terms of when you look at some of the results from other teams the weekend on the weekend, it's one where they needed to bank three points. They've got a game in hand. They're right in the top three. And just by getting the job done, they've made their lives a whole lot easier. So for me, nothing spectacular, nothing flashy. It just underlined the importance of Annalie Longo. It sort of was a reflection of that consistency victory have found in recent weeks and their ability to get the job done when it was a little bit more difficult. We've talked about Annalie Longo in the past, but a couple of players who I was actually really impressed with uh, for victory this week were the defenders. I feel like we haven't really talked much about them. You know, we, we spoke about Kayla Morrison when she scored her debut goal, but her and Claudia Bunch have built up, I think, a really good partnership at the centre of defence. And Polly Doran has just absolutely come out of the gates and just finally looks like a W League level player after sort of being in and out of Melbourne victory in the past. And if we compare, I guess, the two back lines of victory and the Wanderers, I thought both back lines had a really good game, but it was the victory back line that was a little bit more impressive. They were a little bit more sturdy and they had a little bit more momentum going forward as well. So like with the Wanderers having Georgie Omendale at sort of left back, she's the kind of player who you would put there with the expectation that she'd be able to get forward and just sort of contribute to the attack that the Wanderers quite desperately need, particularly when they don't really have an experienced starting striker in there because Lena Kamas was kept on the bench again. Uh, but she was really pinned back by victory and by Polly Doran. And that's, you know, that's a real testament to, I think, the work that Jeff Hopkins has done with, with Doran over the, the course of the season, also the work that Doran has done in the, in the winter as well coming into this season. So, yeah, I was really impressed with Melbourne Victory's defence, and I feel like that is going to be the thing. We think about the, the two teams, I guess, that are in contention for fourth spot moving into, into finals, victory in Canberra. I feel like victory's defence could actually be the, the deciding factor there. Victory in contention for a top two spot at the moment. Like they have a game in hand 
and they have the best run home of anyone. They got two games against Perth. They've got a game against Sydney FC at the end, which we think will be an absolute belter. But they're just they are just simmering so nicely. So and Jeff Hopkins a few weeks ago actually said to me how happy he was with that central defensive pairing. Like, let's not forget they had Laura Brock marshalling their defence for the last two seasons. That's not an easy player to replace. I mean, she's gone over to France and slotted in seamlessly over there. Um, it, I think it really helped that Morrison went over to Sweden and played. She's one of the few players, I think, in this league that has been playing at a consistently decent level throughout, I guess, the winter here. And Claudia Bunge is a, is a great pickup. They've been really wrapped with that defence. And I reckon they would have actually learned a lot from that Canberra performance a couple of weeks back where um, they really went quite hard at Doran and at Angie Beard as well. They got a lot of joy out of Nikki Flannery's pace. Um, so I think they would have been well aware of the threat someone like a Yeomandale, for example, poses. Um, and then also like a Tegan Collister as well. There's a bit of pace in that Wanderers outfit. And they just handled it with aplomb. Um, they screened their, their back four really well. Uh, Gabby Garn generally looks pretty assured in goals as well so yeah I just think they're they're poised quite nicely and they don't have the hype of previous seasons I suppose where they've been looking like they're going to be in the mix for the Premier's plate but in terms of just building and setting a bit of a foundation and maybe entering the finals in form they could be a team that prove a bit of a surprise packet. Yeah and I love that you bring up Holly, Doran, Sam. I was having a discussion with Marissa. I think it would have been late last year. I think I was like, I think I might become a Holly Doran pumper. Like maybe that'll be my my brand. And then she had a couple of rough ones. So maybe that's that shows that I don't have the commitment to be a, a pumper because I'm not committing early on. Like it, it's just flaky to join in now. You know what I mean? But she's been fantastic. And I think she's really grown into that role. Um, and definitely those attacking runs, um, something that comes with like building up her confidence and being able to get back as well. Cause yeah, early on, she's getting a little bit puffed, but yeah, loving um, what she's been doing. And also, as you mentioned, like Jeff Hopkins, he's been building this, this squad and been working on a lot of the younger players for a long time. And so that's really showing in terms of like Kara Cooney cross, she's just built into their attacking play now. She's essential and it would be difficult to see. I think it would be a big loss if she wasn't able to play for them. She's just become so integral. Um, and yeah, Melina Rez as well is very just, I guess, quietly putting in the work. I don't think she's scored any bangers this season. Has she? Um, and that's sort of, I think that's when you sort of everyone's attention turns to her, but her work rate has been really great. And yeah, I'm just, just impressed with the young ones and yeah, what they're doing with this victory squad. I will say, I think like that initial first 15 minutes, um, we've talked about how victory's attack are quite multidimensional and they were getting a lot more of the ball and quite a few good, options moving forward so I credit to Wanderers and being able to stifle that even though they weren't they were sort of looking for the counter and weren't able to produce a whole bunch but um yeah when they did Victory's defense were across it they are really organized in that regard so safe hands back there just on Doran as well I think one thing that really sums up her progress is that it's seen Leah Privatelli either predominantly use off the bench or coming on to support um I guess in more of a winger role to give a bit of support to Doran. Privatelli is a really trusted player of Jeff Hopkins. Um, she's been around for quite a while at Victory. She's played a lot of games. She, um, 
was preferred to say a Tegan Allen um, in previous seasons. Like they really like her at Victory. She's a really good character around the group. So to for Doran to effectively take that spot and make it her own, um, I think just shows how far she's come. I'm glad we've kind of highlighted Victory's defence because I think it has gone a little bit under the radar this season. Like they're one of the stingiest defences in the league. I just, I was uh, scrolling through Instagram and Angie Beard has been donating $100 to Beyond Blue every time they keep a clean sheet. And that totals now at $500. So it's good that we've highlighted that. And Harrow keeps using the word simmering, but I think it's the, the best descriptor for this victory side. In terms of the Wanderers, Sam, what do you think about the Wanderers? What's your kind of brief thoughts on that game from a Wanderers perspective? I mean, a similar kind of thoughts to the thoughts that I've had in previous Wanderers games in the last sort of month, which is that they need a striker. We've seen how important Lena Kamis is when she comes on from the bench. Usually she's only given 20 minutes to half an hour, but she does stuff when she's there. She's really, really important. You know, she scored the really crucial winner against Melbourne City last round. Did yeah. you think it was weird that they chose not to start her? No, I don't think it's weird that they chose not to start her because I think finals contention is out of their reach now. And I think Dean Heffernan is wanting to give Briley Henry, the young Matilda, some more minutes. And that's really admirable because she is a really great young player. And uh, I was uh, chatting to uh, Leah Blaney, the young Matilda's head coach, a couple of weeks ago. And she said that even though Briley Henry hasn't got on the score sheet yet, even though she hasn't really been notching up the kinds of statistics that we would expect of a starting centre forward, things like her high speed minutes, the amount of actually the work that she does on the field in, in those kinds of roles are really, really impressive. And that's the sort of stuff that you just, you need to give these players at this point in their lives and their careers. You know, they need to start to know what the pace of games like this are like. They need to come up against defenders like a Kayla Morrison, like a Claudia Bunch, players who they're probably going to come up against at international level at some stage in the next couple of years. They need to know what those expectations are like. So I think because of that, Dean Heffernan is starting to give more opportunities to some of these younger players. So that's why we're seeing, for example, a Sarah Hunter being given consecutive starting minutes uh, in midfield, who's been really impressive. We're seeing Tegan Collister being given constant starts uh, and Danica Matos as well, who I think has been really impressive uh, at right back. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, again, it's not, that's not a write-off of a season for Wanderers because they haven't made the top four um, because we are starting to see some of these players now popping through and being given the kinds of minutes that they uh, are going to need moving into next season. Yeah, so that was Thursday night, Thursday night. We moved on to Adelaide v Sydney. It was a good win for Adelaide. Some people who are much closer to the situation or longer term Reds fans have described it as their greatest W League win in their history so it was it was a big result it was an important result for them and it was the perfect send-off for Dylan Holmes who's about to head over to Sweden so what did we make of this match Sam I know you are the the resident Sydney FC fan but how did you look at it from both the Adelaide perspective and the Sydney perspective? I felt about this game in terms of Sydney's performance the same way that I felt when they were beaten by Brisbane, which is that the team that came up against them figured them out and they found ways to stop all the different avenues that they have shown over the course of the season are their deadliest. 
So the fact that, I mean, speaking of impressive defensive lines, the fact that Adelaide kept Sydney to four shots over the entire game, including just one shot on target, is extraordinary. Considering the three front players that they have there, we've got a Princess Sabini, a Remy Simpson, who is in contention for golden boot conversations, and Courtney Vine, who is one of the most deadly sort of wide players in the competition, they just completely nullified them. It was so, so impressive. I, yeah, I I do agree that this was probably one of Adelaide's greatest ever wins, if not their greatest ever performance, particularly against a side like Sydney FC. Um, And as you said, Marissa, it was the perfect kind of send off for Dylan Holmes, who has earned her move to Sweden. Um, Very rightly so. I mean, I think she's been not just the best player perhaps in Adelaide, but one of the best players in the entire league this season. Um, I loved that Marushka Waldis got on the score sheet. I think she's been a really underrated centre-back. We've seen her in and around the W League for a couple of years. She used to play at the Wanderers. Um, but she's, yeah, she's really sort of found her, her people down there in South Australia, which is really lovely to see. And Mallory Weber's goal just before the 20th minute, the shout out to the people who decided to put the camera where it was because it was the perfect angle to capture right behind Weber as that ball sailed into the sort of far um, side netting. It was just fantastic. But yeah, super impressed with Adelaide. Um, uh, and a little bit concerned for Sydney because, you know, we got confirmation this week that Ellie Brush has torn her ACL. And so that really throws their defensive choices uh, into a different kind of light. There's going to have to be some some last minute sort of shuffles there. And if this is the kind of performance that results from that uh, defensive instability, I'm a little bit worried about how they're going to go in their final run home towards finals. I mean, Sam, does that goal from Waldus happen if Ellie Brush is there? I don't think it does. Like, exactly. back post, header, centre back. you got someone as commanding as Ellie Brush there with the awareness um, to set up defensively. I don't, I don't think it happens. Or if you have a fit Liz Rolston or obviously previous seasons, they've had Alana Kennedy. Like, just something, the sort of crack in the armour that you wouldn't have seen earlier in the season, I think. Like, Brisbane were very good. Brisbane were brilliant when they beat Sydney. That... Um, but that that Walter goal, I think, sort of underlined where Sydney's deficiency sort of came to the fore. The Mallory Weber goal as well, Sam, it's interesting when we were previewing this season, we were talking about how Mallory Weber would be the key for Adelaide because we've seen how good she's been in the past, how influential she scores, she creates. But I feel like she's kind of faded into the background a little bit because we've seen Dylan Holmes be so brilliant. We've seen Emily Condon come to the fore. Chelsea Dorber's been scoring goals. So it's kind of like maybe a little sort of transition moment of this is Dylan Holmes's last game um, and she's earned that move. And while I'm on it, fantastic for the women's game, not fantastic for Adelaide, but fantastic for Dylan Holmes that you can have a player get pinched so late in the season because there's a transfer fee. This player is in demand. The Swedish club, BK Hakan, who won the whole league um, last season, have decided that Dylan Holmes is the priority. We want to get her over here now. Um, and so we're seeing sometimes as you see that in the A-League as well, player gets pinched out partway through the season um, and there's a transfer fee and it's a great result for all concerned except maybe Adelaide's title ambitions. But with Weber scoring that goal, it's sort of a little reminder of, now this quality player is here and this is one of those players who's going to have to step up, um, make an impact, fill that huge gaping hole that Dylan Holmes is going to leave because she's been fantastic as a player but also as a leader. So for someone like Weber to step up and just go, 
Sydney, I'll take his all on. Don't care. And just rifle it into the back of the net, I thought was a really nice statement of intent. And we talked about how crucial this game was for Adelaide because they didn't want to have to leave it till, you know, maybe lose to Sydney, lose to Brisbane or and then have to get a result against the Wanderers. To get a result straight up, pressure's on everyone else now. They just have to keep on keeping on and that maiden finals appearance, it's right there. They can grab it. Yeah, and what I found interesting about Sydney is they didn't seem to have a lot of bite in their play, like the fact that the last time these two sides met, it was really close. You would think that they kind of bring a little bit more to the table and but at points they were sort of just I think perhaps relying on Adelaide to make a mistake and this Adelaide team they're really really good at their passing and they're really clinical and really sharp especially in that front three you can't be giving them the opportunity to move it around otherwise yeah it'll end up at Weber's feet and she'll smash it in so yeah I did I did find that interesting and perhaps it's a little bit of complacency because they're confirmed in finals but they I don't know. I can't do maths. Could could someone snatch the premiership from them at this point in time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. I think definitely can. Like yeah. unlikely, but I think they both are mathematically. I'm not so sure about Adelaide. So yes. yeah. So also, who do we think is going to be the new captain? Good question. That's a really good question. I mean, I would say Mallory Weber. Yeah, she has been part of that Adelaide setup for a couple of seasons now. She's obviously uh, one of the more experienced international players there. Uh, the fact that she did step up and score that second goal on the weekend sort of suggests that she is taking the that sort of responsibility on her shoulders and she doesn't shy away from things like that. Um, but I, I would really like to see a, a local player actually get it. I'd like to see maybe a Georgia Campagnoli, again, someone who has been part of Adelaide for several consecutive seasons. I think she's now their record holder in terms of appearances for the club um, and has been part of that midfield uh, dynamic with Dylan Holmes for a, a really long time. So, yeah, I'd like to see Campagnoli be given the armband. Anna, thoughts? For me, it's less about the actual armband. It's more about replacing what Dylan Holmes provides on the pitch. Like clearly this season, there's been no shortage of leaders that have stepped up at different times. And Sam mentioned Mallory Weber before um, in terms of actually stepping up and scoring when they needed it. Uh, I don't think it's the captaincy that is so much what needs to be replaced as what Dylan Holmes can provide as a general and a playmaker and everything in between. Big challenge. So good thing they got those points uh, while she was still there. It's a huge challenge. And we know from literally last season that sometimes you lose a player and your whole season kind of collapses, not naming names. But, you know, there are some players who really not are the team, but are really, really influential. So I think if Uh, the Adelaide-Brisbane game wasn't already kind of highlighted in your diary. I think it's time to start drawing some circles and some exclamation points and stuff because it's going to be an absolutely fascinating contest. Um, I did want to mention as well, that was the first time Sydney had been held scoreless all season. So, yeah, I feel like we really cannot overstate just how strong that Adelaide defence was to nullify those three players, as Sam mentioned. But um, we'll move along to the next chaotic game of the round. And, oh, boy, was it chaotic. Uh, Canberra got the win against Brisbane and it was 
spectacular for many reasons, the goals, the Heyman, the all of it. Angela, what did you make of this Canberra-Brisbane game? Um, well, yeah, I already was very excited about Heyman, Heyman's goal, but the, the rest of them were, were bang it. Flannery's goal was class, but then, yeah, Mar and Gallich both had bangers, and it was great to see Gallich score because she's only it's she's only started three times this season for Canberra, and it's been the past three games. So she's cl- clearly having, like, a surge in form, and that's paying off, and it's great to see. Um, and she did that fantastic through ball in the game against Victory that saw Nikki Flannery score. So definitely keeping my eyes on her for the remainder of the season because friend of the pod, Eric, He's definitely pumped her up before and I can see why she's doing fantastic and is definitely coming into her own. But yeah, Canberra, I think, yeah, just took their opportunities when they saw them, were unafraid to shoot from a distance. And we will talk about this later, but I guess the keeping was not great. But, you know, you got to try it. You got to test it. And so it was, um, I think someone said this pre-recording, you know, Mar scored a left-footed banger. It was beautiful. And Galich was like, well, if that happened, you know, if that happened, I can try again and it might happen again. And it did. So anyway, yeah, just opportunistic and fun to watch. Good times. I have to, I do have to asterisk the first time I watched this, I was at the pub. So not, not the most insightful analysis <laughs> for me. But anyway, Sam... I sort of got flashbacks to the start of Brisbane's season in a weird way when they were so dominant in so many areas of the field and yet just couldn't put the ball in the hole. They couldn't, they couldn't put it home. They couldn't do it. Like Gilnick's goal was sort of the weirdest, m- most unlikely of the opportunities that they sort of created for themselves. Mariel Hecker missed maybe the most sittingest of sitters I have ever seen in my life of watching football. It was kind of miraculous how it didn't go in the net. But like, even if you just look at their stats, you know, Brisbane had 19 shots compared to Canberra's seven. They had almost 60% possession. And like, I think they put together almost 200 extra passes more than Canberra did. But they just couldn't score. Like, full credit to Canberra, though, because I think Canberra had a hunger to them that I don't think I've seen for a couple of rounds. And you're right, Angela, like, they took their opportunities, absolutely. They, um, But some of them weren't even really opportunities. They were just like, let's just have a go and see. And they happened to go in. It just happened to be one of those games for... Uh, Morgan Aquino and I I feel sort of bad for her because some of them were some clangers you know Grace Myers goal it just sort of fell through her hands and but you know that's fine she's a young goalkeeper she's learning uh, and this is all stuff that she's going to take into hopefully the next couple of rounds because Brisbane are definitely not out of contention and they've got some pretty interesting games coming up um, so yeah I'd be I'd be really interested to see how they respond to uh, this kind of repeat of the experience that they've already gone through I think now that they know uh, how to address that goal drought uh, they'll probably do it a lot faster this time and uh, it is worth mentioning uh, congratulations to Kelly Crew, who was on the sideline um, regular you know head coach Jake Goodship's partners due to give birth so he set out the the trip and Kelly Crew 
took the reins and must have been more frustrating for her than anyone watching some of those chances go astray because I think Emily Gilnick could have probably had a hat trick. You mentioned the Mario Hecker um, shocker there, Sam. Um, one of those days where just nothing could go in and the fact that, as you said, it was like an Emily Gilnick header. We know she's tall, but she doesn't score many headers, that that was the goal that went in. Bizarre. And then some of the defending was a bit uncharacteristic. I think it was maybe the Nikki Flannery goal where they just sort of got in behind them and uh, Brisbane just was sort of in a bit of a scramble. It's very unlike them. Um, but, yeah, I guess one thing that is worth touching on, you guys have both spoken about it, is is the goalkeeping. It was a rough old day for Morgan Aquino. Um, and to be honest, I think especially if she looks back at the Grace Maher chance or goal, sorry, probably on every other day would have just clunked it, like put the two mitts up in front of her face and just taken the ball. Um, and I think it does, I guess, it is an interesting discussion, Sam, because as you said, she's a young goalkeeper. There's a lot of young goalkeepers in the league this season and we've seen a lot of clangers. It's something that is probably worth discussing because it's not that they're bad goalkeepers, but we are in a league where we've been used to, let's remember in recent seasons, having Lydia Williams here, Mackenzie Arnold, um, a plethora of foreign goalkeepers, like a, a Britt Eckerstrom. Aubrey Bledsoe, Aubrey, Abby yeah, Aubrey Bledsoe. So many. Or even Casey Dumont is Australian, but, you know, she's out injured this year. Like we've had so many top quality goalkeepers. Even when Eliza Campbell in, presence, in previous seasons where she's been in really good form, a lot of these experienced goalkeepers aren't there. And we're seeing a lot of players who maybe don't have a lot of W League experience, don't have a lot of top flight experience, um, maybe in some instances aren't used to playing so much under lights um, in terms of in front of crowds. Like, And we are seeing some mistakes and I think it was just worth touching on because we, we analyse it when strikers miss absolute sitters, when defenders let passes get through. And, you know, there's been times this season, I think, where the goalkeeping hasn't been up to scratch. And it's it's not an isolated thing. It's not one or two goalkeepers. I think we've seen the majority of the goalkeepers this season have some clangers. And I don't know if it's partly because there's been unsettled lineups. There's been a lot of changes. Most teams have had their defences change quite a lot. There's players stepping up into new roles. But it seems like it has been a particularly difficult season in terms of goalkeepers. And a lot of the teams tend to have two goalkeepers really competing for one spot at the moment. We've seen with the Wanderers, Newcastle have had different goalkeepers step in at different times, maybe a bit of lack of consistency. Um, Sam, I'm interested in your thoughts because we were talking about this a bit a bit pre-pod where there have been some clangers. I think Tegan Micah is probably the, the real exception to the rule. She's just been outstanding. Um, Gabby Gartner victory has generally been pretty solid. We've seen Lily Olfeld have some really good moments. We've seen some spectacular saves from a lot of these keepers, but also I think some of these moments that they'd really wish they could have again. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Tegan Micah because I remember writing uh, a part of my column for ESPN a couple of weeks ago was about goalkeeping. And I, I thought back to when Lydia Williams won goalkeeper of the year in the W League last season. And I was like, she didn't do anything though. Like she didn't have to do anything because she had a stellar defensive line in front of her. So like the way that we actually go about measuring the, the quality of a goalkeeper, I think is a really interesting conversation. Like Tegan Micah, sort of subjectively visually seems like out and out the best goalkeeper in the league and yet Melbourne City have conceded the second most goals up until this point so like where it, where do you draw that line is it the goalkeeper who 
seems to have absolutely the basics down pat and doesn't make clangers or are they the goalkeepers who sometimes let a couple absolute shockers in but also pull out saves that are absolutely spectacular other times to keep their game their teams in in the game um I think another point worth mentioning which you touched on Hara is the fact that there has been a lot of rotation of goalkeepers this season and perhaps some of that was unexpected you know we've had some injuries to goalkeepers Sally James at Canberra broke her finger or something and had to take a step back and that's why we saw the emergency signing of Chantel Jones and then Keely Richards coming in towards the back end of that um who I think has been pretty good but like that's a really regular rotation and not not very many regular minutes for those goalkeepers. Uh, similar at Western Sydney, we saw Courtney Newborn start off the, the start of the season and then uh, Sarah Willisie came in after returning from injury. Brisbane Raw, similar situation. Georgina Worth was there. Um, and then she was replaced by Morgan Aquino sort of a couple of games ago. So all these goalkeepers that we're talking about, because they, they're going through the same thing as all the players in the outfield where they've had to step up to fill the vacuum left by more experienced senior players. These are also players that have just basically been bench warmers for the last couple of seasons. Their, their highest experience has been at the MPL level or maybe in and around sort of national team programs, but they've never actually had to play consistent minutes at this level, at this intensity before, particularly not a season that is just disrupted um, and ever changing as the one that we're currently in. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's important when we, when we talk about the, the clangers that some of these goalkeepers have, you know, been part of that we keep in mind the kind of stuff that they've actually had to deal with getting to this point. And I think one thing to keep in mind about Tegan Micah, and it's something that I think should be kept in mind generally when we speak about Tegan Micah or some of our young players, is she has played so much football at a high level at UCLA. She's played against top college attacks. She's played with some really great defenders. She's played just a lot of football. She was the starting goalkeeper for one of the best teams in the US college system and was playing a lot. Like, got brought into Matilda's camps off the back of that. Obviously, a little bit of right place, right time being based in the US as well. Has got to, you know, hang around like Olivia Williams and uh, um, Mackenzie Arnold. I mean, even when she arrived at Victory last year, she had to experience that feeling of the incumbent goalkeeper in Casey Dumont is playing so well that you can't get a game. So she would have been hungry, like really out to prove a point. She went to Norway played games there, was doing really well before getting injured and then came back to the W League assured that she was the number one goalkeeper because Lesa Barbieri is effectively a playing coach sitting on the bench as a second keeper as well. So that sort of confidence behind you really helps as well. She has the experience. Um, she knows she can do the job and I think probably felt very assured that she was the number one goalkeeper coming into this. Um, the other one, I mentioned Garten before, and probably Oldfeld, though she probably had a couple of difficult moments against Newcastle, we'll mention that in a minute, um, is that they've been pretty much assured of being the number one goalkeeper. I know Melissa Mazels is a very experienced goalkeeper, but Garten seems to have been backed in by Jeff Hopkins throughout, and we talked about that back line that's really shored up. They seem to have formed a really good sort of collective there, and I think it, it's reflective when you get that bit of confidence, you know your defence, you you know, you're consistently playing with them, you get to know how each other plays. That makes a big difference too. So, no, it's, uh, I just thought it was worth touching on because, you know, we talk about goalkeeping in the women's game, but so often we we uh, see it just 
brought about by YouTube or Twitter clips of blokes being like, oh, women's goalkeepers, smaller goals. But it is worth having the genuine discussion when we do see things like clangers and, um, I guess, difficult moments for our goalkeepers. But, yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind, as we've, as we've said, the context that some of these players are operating in. They're inexperienced, they're young, they're stepping up, they're in competition for spots, they're playing with unfamiliar defences, they've changed clubs, um, the season's been so disruptive, like there's so much going on. I mean, it's, it's tough enough being a player at the moment, let alone when you're a goalkeeper, when every error you have, it's very noticeable because <laughs> most of the time it leads to a goal and it's not going your way. I have something that isn't related to goalkeepers. I just saw in my notes, I wrote, Satchel back into the starting lineup. Vroom, vroom. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw in the other notes as well, Angela, um, Kendall Fletcher back into the heart of defence. We're just talking about like making life easier for goalkeepers and defences. Having such an experienced player just slot right into the middle. Yeah, maybe traditionally she's played more as a defensive midfielder or a holding midfielder. But when you've got someone that experienced who just knows how to get it done, especially when you've got young players like Jess Nash, who for all her potential can still just get absolutely bodied by big strikers, it must be so reassuring to have that big sort of presence there. Yeah, and she made some fantastic through balls as well that just like sort of like made an incision through the middle of the pitch. Um, and found their attacking line. So, yeah, big you, big ups to Kendall Fletcher. Would you say she used her head in this game? I don't get the joke. At the goal line clearance, you guys. Ah. Uh, goal line clearance. It came off her head. Come on. No, it was a good joke, Anna. I'm sorry that you had to explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. It was a great goal line clearance, guys. Full credit to Kendall Fletcher. To be fair, the ball came straight at her face and all she did was tilt her head down and it it came off. I I mean, that's more of a a, a reflection on Emily Gionic's poor finishing that it hit Kendall Fletcher in her face instead (laughs) of literally the rest of the goal, which was gaping open. But, I mean, it it takes someone, you know, very experienced and wise to make sure that their head is tilted when the ball is coming at them rather than just letting it hit them. Are you just atting Claudia Bunge? (laughs) (laughs) Poor thing. The ultimate falcon is still that Ellie Carpenter one when she was playing for the Matildas. I've never seen anyone hit the ground harder after a falcon. Like it was reverberating. Months. I just have a vision of her ponytail because it's like so long and so blonde, just like real, you know, horse tail or whip or something along those lines. Um, love to round that out with a bit of falcon chat. How good. A falcon post. I suppose speaking of keepers, Lily Alpha did get a few mentions during that chat, so it would be remiss of us to not mentioned the Perth Newcastle game where she was called into action but also copped a fair few goals as well. Uh, we all watched it last night. It was it was a really strong performance from Newcastle. How, how did you see the game unfold? Strong is from Newcastle is probably sums it up, to be honest. I thought they were all over Perth. 
like this is probably one of the better I know they were playing Perth who are bottom of the table but I thought it was one of the better performances that Newcastle have put together um one thing that really excited me was the opening goal to Rihanna Policina because it looked like a set play. Like it was a little one-two with Policina and Tara Andrews. The ball's put out wide and then cut back in again for Policina to finish the move. Um, it was a sort of play that made you go, they've got a plan here. They're not just trying to catch you on the counter or trying to scrap their way through games, which is what teams, I guess, in the bottom half of the ladder can look like they're doing at times, like treading water. No, no, no. They had a plan and they really took it to Perth. Uh, they had lots of aggression. They're a physical, aggressive team. And we'll talk about how Perth really tried to match that. And it obviously didn't work because they got done 4 0. Um, but I thought the aggression and pace of Newcastle's attack really, really troubled Perth. They pressed them, they got in behind, they forced turnovers. Uh, they didn't hold back when it came to challenges. And the player who, of course, really impressed was Sonny Franco, who, as we've talked about, has been a name around the league for so long, especially at Brisbane. Young Matilda, I think, in the past, but has never properly kicked on, spent a little bit of time out of the league um, and has always been sort of lively, but never really put together too many complete performances, I think. Last night was probably her best performance in the W League. It certainly was in terms of goal scoring return. I think she's now scored four goals in the W League and two of them happened against Perth. It was particularly impressive given she really scuffed a one-on-one early. She just got out on her own. It was a nice little one-two in a paddock of space and just sort of kicked the turf and stuffed up the shot entirely. And for a player who only had two goals in 40-odd W League appearances to her name, that could easily have been pretty disheartening. Instead, she just kicked on. She just kept going and going, attacking. She was aggressive and it paid off. She got that nice little through ball and just powered home a finish. And then for the second one um, that she scored, I think Perth's defence will be pretty filthy because she's not the biggest player, Sonny Franco, but she's managed to head home a second. So when you get that sort of impetus um, from a player who's not Tara Andrews, I think it's huge for Newcastle. And to be honest, I just thought they outclassed Perth all night. Yeah, I, I loved Sonny Franco's performance last night. I've loved Sonny Franco for a while because I, I don't know, I, I feel like I have a sort of spiritual connection with players who are just shitheads sometimes. I just like, I, I like that she has attitude. I like that she's mm. nippy. I like that she does all the bantery kinds of like, she nutmeg Lisa Devanna a couple of weeks ago, which was just, like, and they, it wasn't even anything. It, it was like the ball play. was out. No, the ball was out. They were like passing it off for a throw in and Sunny Franco just like decided to like, I love that. I love that shithousery. And so it's cool to see someone like Sunny Franco, even though she did get a couple of talkings to uh, by the, the referee, at some point, I think for maybe chatting back, maybe for being a little bit aggressive at some point. Um, I, I, I like seeing her rewarded uh, because she is a really hardworking player. She's been a hardworking player for a while and uh, she was a real standout um, in the New South Wales MPL competition as well. And it's really good to see her being given opportunities now at W League level that perhaps she wasn't really able to take um, in terms of her own initiative in previous seasons. But now I think she is really starting to do that and she's showing that she is a really decent player and she can reward uh, the, the team and the head coach, Ash Wilson, with the opportunities that she's been given. But in saying that, as you mentioned, Harrow, uh, Perth sort of helped her along quite a bit in, uh, in one of those goals. You know, the, the header, it was 
pretty much a Perth error uh, in the same way that Lauren Allen's goal to, to seal the 4-0 was pretty much a, a, a sort of a miscommunication between Perth's backline and Lily Alfeld and Allen being a really quick uh, winger just sort of nipped in front and slotted the ball right in underneath Alfeld as she was trying to charge out to collect it. Um, so yeah, Perth didn't really do themselves any favours, but I, I was so impressed with Newcastle. I think this is the, it was the kind of spirit of the, this Newcastle team that I think we had sort of expected. Um, perhaps they weren't able to manifest that in their performances as often as we would have liked to, to see them do, but this was definitely that. And yeah, I was, I was really impressed with, um, with the energy that they brought, the game plan, which obviously worked. And the fact that they just like left Perth Glory players, their bodies just strewn across the pitch. At one point, I think there were three or four Perth players just like on the ground, like wounded as if they'd just had their legs shot off or something in war. Uh, it was it was quite extraordinary. So, yeah, good on Newcastle. I'm glad that they got this for them. It's interesting just to go back to players like Franco and Polisina. We were talking about this W League season as being the season for young players to announce themselves. And I think when we think of young players, it's 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, the babies. But we're sort of seeing a little bit of a resurgence from some of these players like Polisina, uh, like Sonny Franco. Um, we've obviously seen players like Claire Wheelers and that kick on as well, Sam, just cursory mention. Um, but a lot of these players that are actually around sort of 21, 22, 23, 24, who are really benefiting maybe in previous seasons because the league has been that high quality. You've got the Matildas, you've got internationals taking up a lot of spots that maybe in their more formative years weren't getting the chance. But now, as you said, you've said this is a common theme with a lot of these players, Sam, they've come off big seasons at their state league clubs. They know that they're going to get the shot if they work for it and they do all the right things and they put the hard yards in. They will get their shot and they'll be playing. And these players go, you know, I've got a bit of W League experience. I know a bit about it. No, 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 now it's our, our turn. We're going to make an impact. And I think quite a few of these players are going, yeah, you know, like, it might not be their last shot at it, but it's certainly a chance to really get some minutes and make an impact and show that they belong here. I think also, of course, when you're an athlete, you're a sports person, you want to win every game, but the bottom like section of the table, so fifth through ninth, I think that's still going to be really exciting to watch those teams face off against each other for the rest of the season. Because as you said, Anna, these players still have you know two three more games to prove their worth and to keep pushing for another starting spot and that sort of thing and so a lot of that movement is meaning that the football is really exciting as well because nothing is nothing can be assumed at like a starting 11 level and then I guess in terms of results as well which we saw or we're continuing to see with you know peak dub what what is it you call it Marissa just not peak dub because we there is no peak, it just I continues. Quintessential was the adjective. Quintessential I dub. We can just right. expect can't chaos. Peak. Can't peak. Well, yeah, I was going to say chaotic dub is like the that's their formal name. Like that's just on the birth certificate kind of thing. But uh, just on Perth, uh, we were talking about this just after we watched this game last night. In terms of can they get a win? Um, what does the rest of their season look like? Surely. If you're Alex and Parkers and Co, you are circling up that home game, which is scheduled to be against Melbourne City, Friday, 19th of March, borders permitting. Surely that is the game where you go, this is the one where we can try and snatch those three points. So Melbourne City, you've probably looked the most vulnerable of the teams they're going to play. Like 
Perth finished their season with Canberra, victory, city, city, victory. Weird, but that's just life in the dub these days. Surely you have to look at those Melbourne City clashes and go, we got to get something here. Well, the really shit thing for Perth now is that that uh, their game against Canberra, uh, which is meant to be played later this week on Friday, was meant to be a home game, but they've now switched it to an away game. So Perth have to travel to Canberra to play and then come back to play four days later. And then four days after that, they have to play Melbourne City. And then I think a week after that, they have to play Melbourne City again. So for a team that has already come into this season at a disadvantage physically, because they haven't had a preseason, they haven't had the six weeks to get the miles into the legs because they've had so many disruptions. They had basically a mini lockdown towards the start of the season. They lost all the momentum off the back of that draw with Canberra. They're now having to do this constant cross, you know, cross country effectively flights in the period of time where you want them to be hitting some sort of straps so that they can win games against Melbourne city back to back. So yeah, I just really feel for them. You know, they just don't, they're not, the universe is just not blessing Perth glory this season. And so I think we need to be gentle and caring with them. I mean, that game was anything but gentle and caring, Sam. That was one of the feistiest games of the dub season. <laughs> we need to be gentle and we, we need, need to, to we or need Lex- to be compassionate. Or Lexi Moreno will slide our legs out from under us. <laughs> There, there are lots of battles coming up in round 12 of the W League. Um, we've got five games this round, which is super exciting. We've got Thursday night action coming your way. We kick things off with Melbourne City hosting the Wanderers. And then we've got Canberra taking on Perth. We've already mentioned it, but Brisbane v, v Adelaide kind of highlights this round for so many reasons. So we need to tune into that one and then we wrap things up we've got City in action again against Newcastle that one will be down at Bentley and then Perth taking on the victory to round things out so lots of very interesting clashes to wrap our eyes around a little bit more immediately we've got uh, Champions League action coming to us right around the corner so our Aussies in action we had a mixed bag of results Indy Riley we're claiming her once again her Fortuna Whoring unfortunately lost to Barcelona 4-0 Carly Ross Backens LSK lost to Wolfsburg 2-0 but considering they were finalists last year that is not a bad result at all Uh, in more I suppose expected results. Leon defeated Bromby 2-0. Ellie Carpenter played a big role there. And then Chelsea defeated Atletico 2-0. If you haven't seen the highlights for that, it was the most batshit insane game. There was red cards. There was three penalties. It was just absolutely bananas. So the second legs of all those matches will be taking place midweek over on Sportsleague, which you can check out and get all of that action in tier. And speaking of Chelsea in Champions League they were also in the winner's books in the FAWSL over the weekend it was the Sam Kerr and Beth England double act in you know the kind of handshake emoji they were just uh, doing it for themselves and absolutely killing it as we mentioned earlier they had the 2-0 win over West Ham uh, in terms of other good results for our Aussies, as Hara mentioned at the top, Arsenal got a 4-0 win over Birmingham and Kate Ford was absolutely influential in that. 
uh, for our other Aussies, Alana Kennedy's Tottenham lost to Brighton 2-0, but it was good to see Brighton get that win for Stoddy. They all wore the world's greatest shave T-shirts, which we'll touch on a little bit later. So it was nice to see them get that win. And then Hayley Razo's Everton took on Man City and lost 1-0, but Razo was playing as a right wing back, which is interesting to, to say the least. And as Sam mentioned, Ella Mastri Antonio featured for Bristol City in their 3-2 win over Reading. So lots of action all over the place. But um, on FAWSL, it kind of segues nicely into a, a plethora of boots from us this week. Um, I'll kick us off with just the little injury one. It's been announced that Mackenzie Arnold has injured herself to the point that West Ham needs to sign an injury replacement keeper. Um, details have been scant on what Macca's injury actually is, but she posted a photo of herself with a knee brace and crutches, so we can't imagine it's good. So big old boot to injury, and we hope she's recovering well and recovering quickly so we can see her back on the park soon. So in terms of other boots, we're, we're back to boot and pitches. Harrow, take it away. Yeah, frustrating um, the other day. Um, it caused a, a bit of a stir, I think, um, amongst women's football fans in Melbourne, where Melbourne Victory were meant to be playing Western Sydney at Lakeside Stadium, uh, which is the home of South Melbourne in the NPL and NPLW. And at relatively late notice, the, I think it was the night before the game, they did the pitch inspection and said, no, nope, no good. Can't be having this game here. Um, it's a Thursday night broadcast game. We're going to move it to Amy Park. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have a COVID safe plan. So it's behind closed doors. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened in Melbourne. We've seen um, it happen with Melbourne City. Um, they've had a couple of games moved away from Frank Houlihan um, because of pitch condition or not being suitable. Um, one of those was moved to Amy Park and played behind closed doors. Um, because of the COVID safe plan thing. I'm not exactly sure how the COVID safe plans work. I'll admit that much, but it is frustrating for fans of women's football. Let's remember as well in Melbourne that we had the massive lockdown. So a lot of people hadn't really seen a whole lot of live sport since the W League grand final. We've only just been getting crowds back in recent weeks. There's only so many home games these teams are playing as well. Melbourne victory and Melbourne city. Lakeside stadiums normally have a belter of a place to watch football as well you get the skyline there it's easy to get to etc um and it i think it was very frustrating um for fans of the women's game obviously if you're in media you can you can access it if you've got the pass and you're covering the game but it it just seemed like something that was avoidable and i know that there's been aflw games that have been scheduled at relatively late notice or rescheduled at relatively late notice and there's not been many bar a couple that were affected by border restrictions where they weren't able to have a crowd so it's just very frustrating that these pitch changes keep happening. It must be super frustrating for the athletes as well. You just sort of get planned to play on one pitch. And we know that all pitches are slightly different in terms of dimensions, in terms of how the grass is cut, um, all those sorts of things. And yeah, it's just frustrating. Just had enough of it. Um, would like fans to be able to see their W league teams play. And if, a decision has to be made on the pitch. Can it be made earlier? Can it be sorted earlier so you can find a suitable venue and have a COVID safe plan and let people come to the games? Because it's the least these athletes deserve. Like They deserve to be playing in front of a crowd wherever they can. 
I know there's going to be instances where you can't because of various border restrictions and whatnot, but to have games that are already scheduled in Melbourne, ready to go, change so late and then not have anyone able to attend them, it just isn't really good enough, is it? And it's a frustrating situation all round. I know that there'd be some things that will be out of certain people's control. I know there'd be certain decisions and processes that are very difficult, but a lot of it does seem like something that can be fixed if it's sorted earlier. So a boot from me. And also, yeah, worth mentioning, this is the only game that Victory will play at Lakeside this season. So I did some see some tweets where people were like, this was literally the only game I could really get to because um, also it was in on a weeknight evening, which makes it easier for those who have to cut, catch public transport. A lot harder to get to Epping on a Sunday, for example, <laughs> um, than on a weeknight. Yeah, and it's, I, I do feel... I mean, it was Victory's game that got moved, but I do feel for City in the sense that they've had, like, no consistency this season in terms of their home side after sort of being promised that with Frank Hollihan reserves. So, yeah, will be interesting. I'm also curious to know why they didn't move or didn't consider maybe moving um, those games that got moved to CB Smith to somewhere like Bentley where they could still hopefully draw in those fans from the southeast because CB Smith to Dandelong is a lot further than, say, from Epping, which is Victory's one of their home grounds to CB Smith, bringing in the regulars and that sort of thing. So all a bit confusing. The other thing that was interesting was South Melbourne's NPL team played at Lakeside Stadium the next day. Um, and I can't – I know it's, it's NPL, it's State League, but they tend to have – high standards in terms of what to expect for the pitch. Um, and the NPL clubs tend to be pretty proud of the pitches they serve up. So it was interesting to me that the game on Thursday couldn't go ahead, but the NPL game on the Friday went ahead. Um, I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear a bit more about that. Because, um, yeah, surely the pitch can't have changed that much from Thursday to Friday. I think we're at the point now where we need to really start questioning the validity or the benefit of ground hopping for W League teams. Like I understand the logic behind it. And I write about this in my column for ESPN this week where, you know, the, the league is still growing and they're wanting to take games to as many different communities as possible to try and build the fan base. But I feel like it's starting to have the opposite effect and, and, this season in particular has sort of exacerbated um, those the, the inconsistency because there's been so much chopping and changing and there hasn't been the ability for fans to get to games regularly in order to start to build up the kind of fan base that was the impetus behind ground hopping in the first place. And when we look to the A-League, it's very, very rare that you see these these clubs moving to different grounds to do the same thing. And I, I understand the A-League is more firmly established than the W-League is, but you only get that way after you have played in the same place for a long time. Like we see in I mean, Western United actually is a really good example of a club that has come into the A-League recently and hasn't really established themselves as serious community of fans because they don't have that home base yet 
um, you know, Sydney FC in the, in the W League is a, a team sort of notorious for ground hopping and by catering to everyone, you sort of start to cater to no one. You know, we see that there, there's a really great community up in Manly. There's a really great community in the inner west around Leichhardt. There's a great community out in the eastern suburbs, out near sort of Jubilee Oval. But there's no consistency there. And fans, I think, really struggle to develop the kinds of things that we really love around match days, the routines, the rituals, the habits, going to the local pub, meeting up with the same people, making the walk down to the stadium. W League teams and W League fans don't get to experience that if they're constantly chopping and changing grounds. And it's a particular worry in light of the fact that so many of the grounds in the W League are inconsistent. So many of them are poor. Chroma Park in Manly, we've talked about that before. The ground is artificial. Players hate playing on it. Dorian Gardens in Perth is one of the most poorly rated grounds in the entire professional system in Australia. There are a number of other grounds where players are feeling uncomfortable and uncertain about playing on them because it's not consistent. You know, one time they're playing at an Amy Park or a Bankwest and another time they're playing at a Manly or a Marconi. You know, the, the, the anxiety that that must cause for players as well, not being familiar with the grounds that they're going to play on, you know, must be difficult to deal with. It's just sort of an added thing that they have to navigate, which their male counterparts don't have to because they have that home ground already established for them and they're already familiar with everything, the facilities, with the pitch, with the people, with everything about it. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of ground hopping anymore. I think the W League, if it wants to be a serious competition, it needs to start acting like one and it needs to start providing teams with a proper home ground that is consistent throughout the season. So, yeah, we need we need consistent pitches and we, we need them now. And then a, a final boost, it's a familiar one. You'll recognise it from a, a fair few episodes back, but it's a big old boot to cancer. Um Rebecca Stott, we said it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, had announced that she was leaving Brighton, she was returning home to Melbourne for medical health reasons and that she would share an update in due course and we've reached that point now. She's let everyone know that she's been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer, which is just awful news for everyone involved. But uh, we, yeah, it's just, it's, it's terrible news whenever you hear it but particularly for someone so well loved and well respected here in the Australian kind of women's football community but I suppose then transitioning that into a how good not only has Stoddy announced this she's going to be undergoing chemotherapy she's going to be losing all her hair it's going to be you know a really big couple of months coming up for her the absolute legend has decided to sign up to the world's greatest shave and is fundraising for that uh, organization to you know help other people and other families affected by blood cancer so she set a goal of ten thousand dollars to be raised she smashed that in about two three days and has already bumped that up to fifteen thousand or um her new goal is fifteen thousand dollars so to see I suppose firstly that her first thought was I'm gonna make this an opportunity to kind of help other people an absolute credit to her and everyone who's close to her has said that this is absolutely characteristic of Stoddy. So it's really unsurprising and just a real testament to who she is as a person and for the football community to get around her and to support her so kind of generously and so quickly as well has been really heartwarming in a really, you know, otherwise awful situation. If you flick through the kind of public donations, 
there are really familiar names from her Brighton teammates, from W League people, and then other names just from the football community. So to see how well-loved and well-respected she is is obviously a testament to her, but also a testament to the way that Australian football kind of gets behind our own and supports one another. So it's a huge how good to study to the football community, to everyone involved, and obviously we're, we're thinking of her and hoping that uh, treatment goes well and that she's back on the pitch in 2023 walking out you know on her home stadiums here in Australia but also in New Zealand so how good to study but a big old boot to cancer that's a a hybrid one for you but we'll, we'll keep going with some how goods to to finish off with some positivity Angela do you want to give us a how good yeah uh on theme for me relates to Michelle Heyman um my how good is the um mural that got put up in Canberra I can't remember which it's in the city somewhere if you walk around for about five minutes you'll probably find it it will stand out it's giant rainbow mural with Michelle Heyman's face in it um and that was done in in time so coordinated by Instagram um, in time for Sydney Mardi Gras this weekend. So yeah, massive how good there. Great. I think it's just like great to see like a like Instagram supporting that sort of initiative and putting the the names and faces of community leaders, LGBTQIA community leaders, um, front and center. That's really great to see. And yeah, just just camera things as well. Very camera camera thing to have Michelle Heyman's like face up large um and it, yeah the artwork was done by a street artist called Megan Hales and I'd just like to say Megan if on the off chance that you're listening please come to Melbourne and do some some lovely drawings and pictures because I've had enough of Lush Sucks too much Lush Sucks he's everywhere he's very prolific credit to him but just like let's mix it up a little bit you know so anyway yeah how good massive Michelle Heyman mural very on brand for me the absolute best also Megan if you do like smaller prints Angela has a birthday that we would all like to kind of get her a present for I don't know I'm just putting that out there but how good to big rainbow Michelle Heyman uh Sam how good from you Speaking of community leaders, speaking of women in football, of course, it is Female Football Week this week. Uh, Yesterday was International Women's Day. And what I really loved to see was how Australian football more widely really rallied around the day. It was pretty clear looking across social media channels that not only Football Australia, not just the clubs, but also federations, state federations, zones, smaller community clubs had really been planning to do something for International Women's Day to celebrate all of the women who have always been involved in football at various levels. So we saw Football Australia organise a number of panels with some of the most amazing women in football, including Sarai Behrman. Uh, There was Emma Hayes. There were all these fantastic panels that they uh, ran online, which was fabulous. And everybody can go and watch them for free. There were a number of uh, sort of history-based videos that some federations put together, interviews with former Matildas, dipping back into their, you know, their memento collection, their jerseys, all that sort of stuff, getting them to tell their stories about what football has meant to them and their contributions to the sport. And it's it was also just particularly lovely to see, you know, men's clubs and men's teams really rallying behind it as well and acknowledging 
acknowledging the role that women have always played in their professional careers and in the lives and histories of their own clubs. What I especially loved to see was the fact that there were so many women who were acknowledged and celebrated for roles that perhaps we don't really think about when it comes to football physios, events managers, you know, people in administration behind the scenes, kinds of women who have always made football tick, the kinds of women who work at the canteens, who clean the boots, who wash the jerseys, who do all the, all the labour of love and of actual labour and work um, in, in and behind the, the fabulous football that we actually see on the field. So it's, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a little bit sort of wishy-washy about um, tokenistic kinds of things, but this feels different somehow this year. It sort of feels like perhaps in light of the fact we won the Women's World Cup bid, it sort of feels like actually Australian football is genuinely starting to recognise the role that women are playing in it and the role that we are always going to play in it and are starting to really fully appreciate and acknowledge uh, what we have always done. So, yeah, it was just a really wholesome day and I, I'm really looking forward to what the rest of the uh, Female Football Week uh, holds for the game. So, yeah, just Australian football, how good. How good indeed. We're not, you know, couldn't be us enjoying a whole week dedicated to female football. Like, you wouldn't read about it before of us enjoying that. Uh, Harrow, how good? We've spoken before about the importance of milestones in the W League and we've liked to celebrate some 100-game, 50-game um, especially given how short seasons are, how tough it has been to carve out a professional career for so many athletes. And um, it was Claire Polkinghorne's 150th W League game on the weekend, which is just an extraordinary achievement. Um, obviously, Brisbane didn't get the result they would have liked for it, but she is just such a credit to herself and to the Brisbane Royal, obviously the Matildas as well. Um, one club player which is extremely rare in the W League. And it's something she wears with pride and um, something she really values. And there's a really sweet video um, from the W League account that we can share. Um, they basically put together a compilation of some of her highlights and they've spoken to Polks and pulled out an iPad with some of her best moments and highlights of her career, players she's enjoyed playing against, the influence of other women like Mel Andrietta, for example, or some of her teammates or opponents like Lena Kamis that they've had on her career and I just thought it was brilliant and it's the sort of thing we need to do more of um, at times we don't necessarily do the best job of acknowledging the great achievements that some of these women have made especially um, for an example like a Claire Polkinghorne where she started her career at Queensland Raw and um, it was so much more semi-professional than professional and she's just carved out a brilliant career been amazing year in year out um and just keeps on keeping on and yeah just fantastic to see such a credit to the game um honored the way she was so claire polkinghorn 150 w league games congratulations and how good so so good and there was another video of polks actually where just a whole bunch of her teammates from throughout the years both at club level and country level just basically gushed about polks and it was a very wholesome couple of minutes so we'll give that one a retweet as well because it was very enjoyable content but um that's that's another pod done we've done it gals again um 
feel free to check us out on espn.com.au where the hot pink thing on the sidebar you really cannot miss it also download the espn app you can find us on there and then all the usual podcast places spotify apple google leave your reviews and your ratings it's really beneficial to us and it just makes us feel nice so feel free to leave them uh, there, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can find us at the Far Post Pod on all social media. Um, but until next week, see us. Lovely. <laughs>